All right, so we're in the book of Colossians. We'll be in verses 9 through 14 in chapter 1. So if you have a Bible of some form, go ahead and be turning there. Um, And uh, just to kind of remind us of where we've come from from last week is remember what Paul said to him that he gave thanks for. He gave thanks for the faith that they have in Jesus and the love that they have for all the saints because of the hope that they have laid up for them in heaven. That is a really important theme for the entire book of Colossians, so don't lose that. Um, and, it's, and it's a really important aspect, certainly as we get to chapter 3, and Paul calls for us to look to Jesus as we sang this morning. This morning, he's transitioning from giving thanks for that to praying for them. And so this portion is his prayer for the people in Colossae. Remember, he didn't plant this church. He's yet to visit this church. He's in prison, and he sent the letter uh, by Tychicus and Philemon. And so uh, that kind of catches us up to where we are. So if you would, give your attention to the reading of God's word this morning. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now straight away, he says, since we've heard about you guys, the the faith that you have in Christ and the love that you have for the saints because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven, we have not ceased to pray for you. Now, let me tell you, that was incredibly convicting to me as a pastor this week, and it's something that I've, I've tried to be challenged about because Paul, in several places, talks about how he prays for the saints and what it is that he prays for them. And so um, I have to admit to you, I, I, I have failed uh, in one sense in, in which Paul is speaking of here. Uh, and we all tend to do this, by the way, and you're going to recognize yourself in what I'm about to say. Uh, we all tend to pray when there's crisis, right? We tend to be great. Like if somebody's got something going on, if, if there's something that's, that's bothering us, we tend to kind of show up before the throne of grace a little more regularly than otherwise. But something that we don't always do is be, be kind of continual in prayer uh, for, for those who just need it. I mean, we all need it, right? We live in a fallen world, and the reality is, can the Colossians sustain that faith in Christ and love for all the saints because of the hope that is laid up for them in heaven? Is that something that they've attained to and they just remain there? No, it's not in the sense that it has to be continually cultivated, right? You, you've, you love people, I hope. <laughs> How easy is that? They don't make it easy sometimes, do they? We don't make it easy sometimes, do we? Right? And so, so we get that we would need, if you're, gonna, if you're going to kind of continue in these good things and be reminded of them, you're going to need to be prayed for. But we have this tendency, if you're doing good, I don't really think too much about you. Uh, if you're doing okay, I, I, I probably don't pray for you very well. Now, Bonnie has challenged us some months back, and we've failed to do it, to take the directory and, and just be praying through it. Just, just take five or six names and just, just pray whether there's crisis or not. We also pray for the things that need to be prayed for, but also to make sure that we're just praying for all of you 
in this way, that you would be growing in these things. And parents, uh, I want to challenge you. You should be praying for your kids this way. Oftentimes, we don't pray for our kids. Like if they say they're, like once they've said they're a Christian, we're kind of like, all right, good, we got you. And, and think about this. As parents, isn't the kid that's quiet and kind of does, kind of keeps their nose clean and stays to the plot, you, you don't think about them a whole lot. You don't worry about them a whole lot. You're just like, all right, you're, you're good. Now I'm gonna turn my attention to the prodigals. Uh, and so, <laughs> but don't forget them. Make sure that you too are convicted by this, that you too think and make sure that you create space where you're praying for the good kid. Because guess what comes for the good kids? The fall. It comes for us all. It will manifest itself at some point in our lives, right? It has to, why? So that we know that we need Jesus. If you, as a, as a Pharisee, think that you got it all together, in fact, one of the worst things we can do to our kids is, is, is allow them to think that their behavior, their good deeds, saves them. That's a devastating doctrine. And so, parents, uh, uh, join me. I'm just trying, misery loves company up here. And so I'm just trying to drag y'all in. And so make sure that, make sure that you, you don't forget the good kid. And same for the rest of us, too, by the way, because every week, I think we fail at something. We fail to recognize there's somebody sitting next to you that could use prayer. Oh, I mean, and you may say, well, I don't, I don't know what their problems are. See, you've automatically kind of shifted to the, the, the crisis mode instead of recognizing, no, they're going to leave here and go out into a fallen world where they will be tested at every turn. Some of you will be tested before you can get out of this parking lot. Because guaranteed, the Papa John's people are going to block somebody in. And you're never going to order their pizza again. Teach them a lesson, aren't you? And so, and who knows? I mean, we've, we've had, just so you know, we've had auto accidents. Uh, th this is pigs and peaches, for those of you who don't know. If you're wondering, like, oh, they really love visitors. They've set up tents, and they've got, you know, uh, pizza. No, it's not for you. We love you, but we didn't do all that. Um, but it, it could be that... You could run over something, that's happened. You could run into something, that's happened. I mean, it could be a test before you can even, before the shine, the Shekinah shine is off of you from this worship service. And so, so there is everybody you're sitting next to, everybody needs your prayer because we are trying to navigate life in a fallen world, right? And so one of the areas that we've wanted to grow in as a church is, is in, in fact there to be praying for one another, not just when there's crisis, but be continual in prayer. And you may say, I, can't, I got other stuff to do. I can't be constant in prayer. Well, I get it. But, but we ought to be really thinking about each other and, and praying for one another as, as it crosses our minds, which should be fairly often. And so, so one of the things I want to say as a challenge to myself, our staff, our elders and deacons, is that I want to see us grow as shepherds in this area. That we would not just pray when it's crisis but that we would, we would do a better job of more perpetually praying, because that is shepherding, isn't it? Uh, to be praying for people, not just when there's problems, but, but just even protectively, even that they would grow in the things that Paul says here. So this is an important passage to us. So he goes on from saying, <clears throat> since the day that we've heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking, he asked for something very specific. He asks um, that they would be filled with the knowledge of his being God's will, now, I want to pause there for just a second because this is where I think a lot of us get tangled up, right? So um, uh, a lot of us are like, I just don't know, I, I don't know what God's will for my life is. Yes, actually you do. 
In fact, when you say stuff like that, sometimes you're making you the main character in the story, as if everything that goes on within the sovereign universe is being funneled down to help you find a job or help you find a place to live or help you find a mate or help you find your keys or help, I don't know, help you find something, right? And so, and so really, we do know what God's will is. What, what is it? What is God's will for his people? Glorify him and enjoy him forever, which is best done where? In his presence. His will is for you to be in his presence. You know what's required for you to be in his presence? Bingo. We had one Christian. That's good. All right. He's an elder, so you guys should take heart. Uh, you're, in good, you're in good shape. And so we need Jesus in order to be able to come into his presence. And, and who provided him? This is why we say all the time, you're not being saved from God. You're being saved to God. God sent Jesus. Jesus manifests, as we read last week from Hebrews 1, he's the exact imprint of God. So you're being saved to God, and so for you, you to grow in the knowledge of his will is for you to grow in this. How much God loves you. How much God loves you. And for many of you this morning, that is such a foreign concept. That is so far from you, and you wrestle, that is something that you wrestle with and you agonize over, and it drives you to the brink of anxiety, and it drives you to the brink of other things. And I want you to know that this is what we, what we should desire is to grow in God's uh, knowledge of God's love for us, how much he loves us. We're going to spend an eternity celebrating it. So here's what that tells me. It must be a pretty big deal. And it must have a lot to it, a lot more than what we see sometimes on the surface. And think about all the ways in which God just says in, in very, and this is where it does get personal, by the way. And it's okay for, for, for us to speak in some measure of the personal aspects of these things. Because God does very personally interact with us. Think about the moments that he grants, those, those kind of quotidian things, those simple things, whether it's just the provision of a great meal or a well-timed phone call or a well-timed text message or a well-timed email or just a well-timed interaction of some kind. It could even be just the beauty of the day in his creation given to us, his people. Hey, and it could be in a very difficult moment. It could be in the midst of the valley. It could be a, a ray of light in the midst of great, great darkness so that you know that even in the darkness, it is as the day unto the Lord and he is there. You are not alone. And so that's really important that, what we, that we not over kind of uh, uh, analyze or academize this concept. It's not that we have to learn some sort of uh, um, you don't have to learn Hebrew to figure this out, that God loves you. And so God's will is for you to be restored to him and for you to be an heir to all the spiritual promises and to have everything you could possibly need day in and day out from here through eternity. What a gift. And what a gift that we would grow in the knowledge of that. Amen? And how would that strengthen us and change us? And so he goes, he pivots off of that and he says that you would be filled with this knowledge of the will of God and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's so that you can apply it. It wouldn't be something that's just way up here, right? 
Spiritual wisdom, wisdom means to be able to apply that day in and day out. How we love our neighbor, how we love the Lord our God, how we interact and do different things. And so what he's saying is that knowledge should be manifested in your life. Right? Our worship, our understanding of those things should lead to a shaped ethic. And it should be visible and known. And so he goes from there. And begins to say, so, so that all that knowledge, he's going to further go further with how this should be manifested, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Now, let me stop right there, because some of you just heard something very difficult and harsh. You just heard that you got to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Who can do that? Who among you would say, dude, I, I was... I was killing it this week. I'm just going to tell you. I, I was walking so in a manner worthy of the Lord. I, I don't know why Jesus didn't go ahead and come back because you've seen the greatest you're going to see. The GOT, it was, the goat was here. And you may have lost exactly the heart of what that means. And so, so I, want you to, I, want, I want to be very careful because we're on very sacred and tender ground right here. Because as we talk about walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, what you can hear is you can hear a harsh voice from your past. You, you, can, you can hear some bad theology beginning to kind of creep in at the edges and scream at you that you, you're not even coming close. So what does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? Well, first off, as any journey, you got to start where you are, Right? You can't wish you were in a better place. You can't wish you had prayed more. You can't wish you had read more. You can't wish you had gone to church more. You can't wish you had done better. It doesn't do you any good. You gotta start right here. And here's the beautiful thing about the gospel. Where does the gospel intersect us? Right here. And often at our absolute worst. Isn't that right? For many of you, that's been the experience. When you were at your absolute worst, the gospel intersected you in great grace. And so, so for, for those of you who think, I've I got to, to do this, i got to do some back work. No, 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 you don't. You start right here. Where you are today. Not where you want to be, not where you'd like to be, not where you wish you were, but where you are today. So to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord requires what? Confession, step one, admit you have a problem, right? Admit that you need Jesus. Admit that you can't, in and of yourself, apart from knowing that God loves you, you cannot walk in a manner worthy of him. And what grace is that? Think about, uh, I was just talking with Lizzie this morning, and she, I just want y'all to know, she is a saint. She's reading through the Bible chronologically, so most of you pale in comparison, so just, just give up. She's got, she's lapped you already. But she... <laughs> She was talking about, she almost didn't make it through Leviticus, which is a common, right? And so, so we've talked about that the Bible should kind of weigh on us. Leviticus should make you say, thank you, Jesus, that we don't have to try to keep up with all this stuff because I like shrimp <laughs> or pork or whatever. Uh, and so, um, so, but she was, she was saying, you know, that, that, that's, that's true. That's, that's very much the, the truth is that, is that she felt the weight of Leviticus and almost didn't make it through the book. As many of you, your Bible reading plans have often died in the third book of the Bible. And so, and so uh, she, she, she got it. 
that, that Jesus is so good that, that we don't have to do all of this other kind of crazy stuff. No, it is what has been done for you. There's nothing for you to kind of get cleaned up. You just need to admit, I cannot do this on my own. Which, by the way, knowing most of you, you've admitted in some form or fashion. And that means you're closer to the gospel than when you thought you had it all together and when you thought you were, you were just killing it and when you thought you were understanding and when you thought you were really kind of knocking it out of the park and people ought to pay attention. And so you start by saying, I can't do this. And then your next confession is that it can only be done by faith alone and Christ alone through God's grace alone. That's all we've got. So, so hear me, please hear me. When it says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, what it is actually saying and, and, and is the starting point is your confession that you cannot and that you only can in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ, which is a finished product, right? And so often I think, I think we wish that our, our kind of, if you, if you could graph your Christian life, right? So the bottom line is sanctification, which moves through time. And then the, and the other, the vertical line is glorification, which is fixed in eternity, right? Most of us wish we could like go on a straight diagonal, always ascending, always triumphant toward glorification, that we just get better and better and better. Confessionally, what is most of your experience? A diagonal line? Absolutely not. It is this kind of peaks and valleys and peaks and valleys. And then what we end up doing neurotically is we end up trying to lop off all the valleys. Do you know why that is a terrible idea? Because that's where all the growth occurs. All the growth really occurs in the valleys. The peaks are great because they let us come up for air. And we, like Peter, are like, hey, let's build some tents on this peak right here and never come down. Right? I don't blame you, and I would love to as well, uh, but unfortunately, that is actually not the best place for us because we would begin to kind of jettison Jesus, and the necessity for our sanctification is to come to him again and again and again in our frailty and in our brokenness. So when Paul says, I'm praying for you that you would grow in knowing how much God loves you, that that is is what affords you the ability to walk in a manner worthy of him. Now, let me tell you what I just didn't say for the other portion of you that are like, what about obedience? That's part of it, right? And, and you're only gonna be obedient to the one you love. You're only gonna be obedient when you know that, that what you're being called to do is actually for your good. You're only going to be obedient to the things that you have found fruit in. And I'm a big fan of, of even when you don't want to do it, it's probably best to do it, right? In fact, uh, uh, when I was, like you, a regular churchgoer, uh, there were times I didn't want to go, oh, egads, how can I? And it was funny to me, and God was so gracious, the times I did not want to go, and I would go through clenched teeth, were some of the best, I can remember every single one of those sermons. And these were some of the most fascinating times. And what it taught me is that the flesh can tell when the spirit's getting ready to grow. 
and that, that it's going to rebel. And so for some of you, you think that that feeling of not wanting to is actually you should trust that as if the heart could be trusted ultimately or the bowels or whatever it is we're talking about. Um, and so, so you, can't, you can't trust that. You just can't. And so there is times, there are times when you need to go fist clenched, teeth clenched, and just show up. But that shouldn't be all the time. Because if it's all the time, then you're failing to understand what it is that God has done for you. The great gift of the means of grace and the gathering of the saints, right? And so, that, there's ringing, Micah. I just heard it. Um, I hope it's not in my head. Uh, and so, so, Paul, is what he's praying for here is not super Christians. He's not praying that we would be these super Christians. What he's praying is that we would understand how incredible and overwhelming is God's love and that as we would walk, we would walk in that, right? And he's got kind of John 15 kind of hangs in the backdrop here because when he starts talking about bearing fruit and enduring suffering and these kinds of things, he, he's got in mind that we would be connected to Jesus in this and that the fruit we would bear would come from that. And remember what Jesus said, if you love me, there's two things you'll do. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. Those aren't super easy because God's invisible and sometimes silent and heaven feels like brass and sometimes the answer you get is not the answer you wanted and sometimes suffering comes and sometimes doubt is overwhelming and sometimes the storm just blows in in the middle of your soul. So it's not always easy to love God. And neighbor... Yeah, sometimes they don't cut their grass like they should. And sometimes they play loud music like one of our neighbors back in Macon. He uh, was drunk on Sunday at 2, which is bad, I think. And uh, he loved the Whitney Houston I Will Always Love You song. <laughs> and, so, and so he, and he loved it so much. It was kind of actually impressive. He loved it so much that he sang it over and over and over for hours. And he would cry more each time. Uh, and, and so, so sometimes that's your neighbor. You got to try to love that guy. And sometimes your, your, your neighbor cuts you off. And sometimes your neighbor does all kind of crazy things, says bad things about you, bears false witness against you. And sometimes your neighbor just offends you. And so, so loving our neighbor, loving our, our God, I get it. Those aren't easy things, and I don't mean to suggest that they are. But you can, and the power, you have all the means of grace necessary. The, you have the power of the Holy Spirit. You have the finished work of Christ applied to you. So Paul is not, he's not kind of stepping outside of the gospel and saying, all right, here's some stuff you need to do. He's saying, stay within the confines of the gospel as your firm foundation and let it bear fruit in you. Receive that fruit and, and so meditate on how much God loves you, his will to redeem and restore all things. And think about how that changes so much of how we think about the world and all that is actually going on in the world. And how that would change us as ambassadors of reconciliation. That to walk in a, worthy, in a manner that is worthy of the Lord our God is to offer that same bread to everyone. Right? Right? even our enemies. Uh, and you're thinking, I thought you said this was going to be easier than that other stuff. I just, that got hard, right? But, but, but we were once enemies. And so as we grow and as we understand and as we mature, 
We need to be able to grow and mature in who and how we love. And so he gives three things that will be evidence of you walking in a manner that is worthy of, of the Lord, right? So the first one is that you would bear fruit in all good works. Now, again, let me, let me pause because some of you hear that. And, and you've heard that fruit is, I don't know what, what you've heard necessarily, but maybe you think it's salvations, that it's sharing the gospel, that it is going and risking your life somewhere. Uh, but for some of you, bearing fruit is you made it here today, right? You made it this far and you didn't want to be here. For some of you, fruit is just getting up one more day, right? That's a good work. That's saying, Lord, all right, this is the day you've made. I don't know how I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it, but I'll give it a shot. Right? That's just honest. God appreciates that, by the way. For some of you, bearing, bearing fruit is, is what, you're, what you don't act on today. Um, and I want to say this because I, th- I think especially for our teenagers and for, for you college students, uh, and maybe for those who are single, sometimes you feel like you've got to do something, that you're going to die if you don't act on this thing. And let me just take it from an old guy who's soon to be 45 and utterly irrelevant uh, in the world. Uh, There is nothing, nothing that I have ever done where I rush to do it, where I jump the shark, however you want to frame that, that I did not regret it. And I've thought a lot about that this week. There's nothing from making a rash decision at the Spicy Food Festival to all the way down to thinking I had to be in places I had no business being. And here's the thing, here's the thing. For whatever it is that's churning inside of you that you think you have to do, you just have to do it. You can do it whenever. You don't have to be in a hurry. Right, you you do realize that. You don't have to be in a hurry. It's something you can wait on and maybe, maybe get a little more information. Maybe learn a little bit more about yourself before you've done something that's going to define you in a way that you don't feel like you can go back. Right? And so I want to implore you to grow in patience. And so maybe the bearing of the fruit is for you to say, I really want, I really want to do this and I really want to act on this, but I, I don't know if it's good, so I'm going to wait. Maybe that's the bearing of the fruit. Maybe the bearing of the fruit for you is you got through one one verse today, which is better than yesterday. Maybe the bearing of the fruit for you is you uttered a very short prayer because you don't do long ones yet. And so I I want you to recognize that the bearing of fruit is not something that should be oppressive to us. And yes, there are others who are gonna bear great, and as you mature, yes, your fruit should also mature. Right? You can't be 20 years into being a Christian and you're still like, all right, I'm, I'm now up to two verses. Uh, that's probably not good. You, pr- you should probably reassess that. But, but I want you to know, don't, don't let the bearing of the fruit cause you to, to feel like Paul's asking you to do something impossible. No, sometimes the bearing of the fruit is so simple and so beautiful and uh, not as complex as we try to make it or... Because again, there's no, there's no starboard in heaven uh, where you do something and Peter's like, all right, that's a star for Elva. She's going to cook poblanos or I don't know, what are you cooking on Saturday? Uh, but you put these stars, there's no, that, that's not it. 
So let's not put that kind of pressure upon ourselves. Bear fruit in the gospel, which sometimes is messy and sometimes is, is different than what we have made it out to be. But, but in glorifying the Lord in whatever way we can sometimes grit it out this given day, um, let that be good work and walk in a manner worthy of him. The second thing that he says that would, and he, and he actually in saying that, he said that that will also help you increase in knowledge. So he's now mentioned knowledge twice. And so there is a sense in which uh, there's, it, it, it's, it's, there's a feedback loop of some sort where as you grow in how, knowing how God loves you, you will act on that and live that out and that will help you grow further in how deeply God loves you. And I'm here to tell you that's incredibly true. Um, that, I, that as I have served other people and it has tendered me and I am far less a cynic than I ever have been in my life and I'm far less melancholy than I've ever been in my life and it has everything to do with trying to do the hard work of loving my neighbor and loving my God. And as I've done that, the Lord has been so gracious to help me to grow in knowing how much he loves me. In fact, we were having a discussion this week at the office just about various things, as we often do. And we were talking about, you know, what will you do if you, if you mess up? And so Robbie and Matt, it kind of got to be a joke because I was saying it in the same cadence. I said, I said you, know, you know what I'm going to do if I mess up? I'm going to repent. Right? I'm going to repent, I'm going to ask for forgiveness, I'm going to seek reconciliation. And then they, another scenario would come up, and I'd be like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to repent, I'm going to ask for forgiveness, I'm going to seek reconciliation. Now, lest you think that that's some sort of cheap mantra, it is not. It is very costly, both to me in some respects and to Christ. And if we could get that, that that would be our passion, that we recognize that that is what we have to apply because God so loved us. Think about how that would set us free. In so many areas and so many things, we just don't even apply the simplicity of the gospel because we think, we think, well, I gotta be cleaner before I can ask for forgiveness. I gotta be better off before I can actually seek reconciliation. Uh, if that's gonna be the case, as the old hymn says, if you tarry until you're able, you ain't coming. That's the southern version. And so um, the second thing that he says, so not only are you to bear fruit in the good works, but, and this one is, it, it's, it's, it's so true, but some of you are going to hear it and wonder. It says that may you be strengthened with all um, endurance and patience, if that weren't enough, with joy. Life in a fallen world is hard. Life in our skin is hard. Life given our baggage and stories, it's hard. And so one of the ways in which we, as we grow in the knowledge of God, as we grow in our ability to endure and to do so with patience, not just with patience, but even unto joy. Now, as you hear that, you think that's kind of a flat reality. No, actually, you should take those kind of systematically and, and, and they follow. As you can do it with endurance, you will grow in patience, and as you grow in patience, you'll be able to do it better in joy. It, it's not all going to happen just at the same time. And so one of the beauties of our walking in and growing in our knowledge of God is that it helps us to navigate life in a fallen world and do so with joy. I've seen people who can do this. In fact, I worked with a guy for years when I was a part of me becoming a believer is the Lord in great grace yoked me to a man who was paralyzed from the neck down for 10 years. 
It's where my love for the Golden Girls comes from, or lack thereof. And so I, I watched this guy, and he endured with patience and joy. He took joy in the world when all he could do was move his head like this. That was it. He was a higher quadriplegic than even Christopher Reeves, for those of you who remember the old Superman. Um, and so, so I watched this man. He endured it with patience and with joy. And you may say, well, yeah, that's, now you're putting up a super Christian. No, John wasn't a super Christian. He worked at Delta. And he dove off a boat when he shouldn't have, and he broke his neck on a limb in the water. And he would tell you, he wasn't a super Christian. In fact, he was probably like the rest of us, probably didn't do his devotions as much as he should, probably didn't pray as much as he should, probably didn't make it to church as much as he should, probably didn't love others as well as he should have. But he clung to the gospel. He clung to the crucified and what it produced in him. And, and listen, I can't wait to see him whole in heaven. And so he would know, because in his life, he never saw the fruit in me. The hardest thing I've ever done was to stand up and do his funeral. And there were so many people that he affected. And so, so it's something that we grow in. It is something that we, that we, as we grow in our knowledge of God, that will be built in us, but please don't hear it flat. Endurance, patience, joy, you gotta do it all at one time or you're not doing it. And God's gonna give you something else. No, it's something that grows. And then the last thing that he says is that we would do all of this with gratitude. Right? Probably the hardest thing in our culture. We, are, we lack gratitude, don't we? We always want more than what we've got. We always want different than what we've got. We always want better than what we've got, right? And we just have such a hard time even enjoying what we have. And so he says, do all this. And so as you grow in your knowledge of God and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, you'll bear fruit from good works. You will grow in endurance, patience, and joy, which is something we all need. And, and you will become more thankful. Some of you this morning are thinking, I don't know if you know where I'm at right now, but I, I ain't got no thanks to give. I got good news for you. Christ has uttered it on your behalf. So give thanks for that. And give thanks for his eternal provision, which is far more important than anything we will endure or engage in in this life. Right? Because that's the beauty of how the, this part of the passage ends. He makes it very clear that the work is finished. Did you hear I said it? It's past tense. He has delivered you from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his light. It is a finished work, and we work out that finishedness. Uh, Tom Anderson, who was my mentor, said it this way, going back to the graph that we mentioned earlier. He said that we spend our lives discovering who we already are in Christ. What a beautiful thing. That, that Think about the freedom that that gives us to navigate. You're not trying to become something amazing. You have been declared son or daughter of the Most High God. You are amazing. And bless you. You're killing it over there. Are you allergic to somebody in that room? 
you? So, so that's what we need to dwell in because so many of us, we're just, we, we don't know who we are. And we're trying so hard to, to, to get people's attention and we're trying so hard to, to get people to acknowledge us and we're trying so hard to prove that we're better than our parents or that we're better than our siblings or that we're better than our lineage or that we're better than the town we're in or we're better than the church we're in or we're better than. No, hear me, people of God, beloved, you are the best you're ever gonna be in Jesus now. Go and learn what that means. And take great joy in it and let it shape how you live. Let it affect how you love others. Let it affect what people can see in you in this world. So listen at what um, R. Kent Hughes says about this passage. He says, a profound knowledge... This is important. For those of us who, are, who lean toward kind of reading and books and knowledge, you need to really pay attention to this. So, so cue in. If you've heard nothing else, hear this. A profound knowledge should profoundly affect one's walk. Did you hear that? So all that you know should affect how you live, how you walk in this world, Right? To say that God is sovereign, well, that's one thing. But to live in light of his sovereignty when everything is crashing in around you, well, that is another. To say that God is love and to preach the funeral of a 10-week-old child, well, now that, that is another. Right? So everything we know has got to find purchase somewhere in our lives. It's not enough to say, I know all these wonderful things about God. I know all of these amazing uh, theologians and their thoughts. You can't live their thoughts. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't know those things. So don't, I, would, I can't hurl that stone at you. I read way too much. But it's got to mean something. A profound knowledge should profoundly affect one's walk. It must be understood that any doctrine which isolates the believer from the needs of the world, listen, is not spiritual doctrine. It's not. So all that you read and all that you know, if it doesn't produce in you a greater awareness of the need for Jesus and God's love in this world, Stop reading it and throw it away. As Steve Brown would say, burn it. Now, I know that offended a few of you. That's okay. I'm not, I don't burn books. You can come to my library and see. I, don't, I keep them all. I don't know how to give them away. I'm like a pack rat with that stuff. But his point is salient. If, if, if all this stuff that we're learning and all this stuff that we're reading, while it makes us smarter and it makes us more conversant, if it doesn't translate into a greater display of God's love and the person work of Christ in this world, as a Christian, it's meaningless. He goes on, or put another way, if our doctrine lifts our feet so high that our feet cannot touch the ground, it is false. Paul prayed that the Colossians would walk their talk and that their knowledge of Christ would grow, and that this in turn would produce a conduct which was worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in all respects. This is how we should pray. 
So I have a couple of questions for you. And they're worthy of you considering this Lord's Day Sabbath. And those of you who are in small groups, you'll talk about these as you begin meeting again sometime this week or the next. But what are some ways in which how you live has changed as a result of your growing in the knowledge of God's love for you and his redemptive will? That's worth thinking about because if you're... If you've been going to church for a long, long time and you've read a bunch of stuff and you've been through 1,900 Bible studies and you've, you've mastered the future of Israel and you, you, you've got apologetics that would make uh, um, people's heads spin and all that stuff, but has it changed how you live? Has it changed anything in you as far as how you love even better or how you worship? And, and if it doesn't, that's a, that, something's wrong there. And it's not that it could be profound. It may be small tick marks along the way, right? Much like how children grow, sometimes you have a great growth spurt. And sometimes you just grow a little tiny bit. And then, how has this affected your endurance, patience, and joy? Are you growing in your ability to endure the hard times, whatever they may be, the droughts, Are you growing in your ability to see joy even in those places? And if not, if not, don't beat yourself up. Don't. But pray for the Spirit to help you there. See, that's the problem. Sometimes I think that we, we instead of praying for these things and asking the Lord to help us in these things, we're, we beat ourselves up, which Satan loves because that diminishes the image of the glory of God in you. But he howls. Whenever we pray, he howls whenever we say, Lord, give us joy. Help us, help me to have joy in this. I don't know how to do this. What a beautiful confession. And then, have you just grown in gratitude? Are you more thankful than you used to be? Are you able to see more of the things that God is doing and granting to you? That is a wonderful thing, and this world needs it. How how ungracious are we as a nation, as a people? Don't we lack in gratitude? Aren't we always saying, this this generation is so entitled? Who taught them? Who told them? You will never suffer like I do, and you can be anything you want to be. Which was a lie. On both counts. So we, we need to be growing in gratitude. We need to be growing in our ability to be patient or endure, be patient, and have joy. And we need to be bearing fruit. Which is not always as grandiose as we sometimes have thought. Sometimes it's so small and so beautiful and you didn't even know what you were doing. But the Lord took and used it for his glory. And so as you um, process this sermon this morning, if you in any way, shape, or form are struggling with how you've heard some of this, let's talk. Let's talk. Because I, I don't want you to leave, I don't want you to go around misunderstanding some things that have been said. And again, you're, you're probably on either side of the spectrum. Either you're heavy on the obedience side and you, you haven't heard enough obedience in this sermon for your liking. Or, or maybe you're heavy on the grace side and you still feel beat up. 
Um, ne neither of those poles are actually true positions, by the way, uh, in, in, from a biblical perspective. It's actually the tension of both and, right? And so if you are struggling with that in any way, shape, or form, let's, let's talk about that and try to get there together because maybe I'm wrong about some stuff and can be corrected and grow in that, but we want to be processing this because what we want more than being right is to display the glory of God. That should be our want. And to display that, we've got to know how much he loves us. And to display that, we have to be growing in how we walk in a manner that is worthy of him. So what I want you to take away from this sermon, that knowledge of God's redemptive will, which we have recognized as his want to be with us and his love for us, should grow and affect how we live in union with Christ. You can't bear fruit, you can't endure, you can't be patient, you can't have joy, you can't have gratitude without union with Christ. You just can't do it on your own. And so may we grow in that. And listen to what R.C. Lucas, not kin to Philip or Lisa, uh, says about this. He says, the obedience Christians practice must be sufficient to give the world an adequate picture of their Lord and his purposes for mankind. Did you hear that? The obedience of Christians practice must be, the obedience that Christians practice must be sufficient to give the world an adequate picture of their Lord and his purposes for mankind. Think about how that would change things. As Aileen was telling me this morning, I saw her at Starbucks and she said, hey, I don't know if you have any eclipse illustrations, but let me give you one. She said, instead of a solar eclipse, we should have been looking out for a knee eclipse. She got it. I mean, you guys are, you guys are struggling. That was terrible. I understand I'm blaming her. All right? But here's the thing. The point is salient. We ought to be a people of prayer. Before you can be a people of obedience, you must be a people in humble prayer. You must be bent at knee. Right? And when we try to do it outside the strength of the Holy Spirit, and we try to do it outside of the means of grace, we fail miserably and we beat ourselves to death. Don't do that. Don't do that. So may we grow. Now remember, the women's retreat is focusing on prayer for those of you who are going. This is a great opportunity for that. Um, and so uh, may our church continue to grow and would you be praying for us for the same thing? As leaders, if we are not growing in our knowledge of God's love for us and for you, we are not gonna lead you well. So pray that for us if you would. And if we don't walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, which some of you question the suspect at times, then we can't do for you what needs to be done, which is to help you grow and mature, which is our calling. If we aren't growing and bearing fruit and patience and endurance and joy and gratitude, then what are we doing? So pray for us and we will pray for you and pray for each other. Let's do that now. Father, thank you for Paul's words and his prayer for the Colossians. Thank you that um, we can pray this for each other. Thank you that you have provided all that is necessary for the prayer to be true. Thank you that you have so loved us and given us so much to think about and so much to grow in and so much to learn in your redemptive will that we will spend an eternity enjoying it, celebrating it, and relishing in it. Help us to begin to grow in that even now between the now and the not yet. Help us to grow in the hope that is laid up for us in heaven, that tangible, real thing. God, would you help us to bear fruit? Would you help us to be patient and endure and to do all that with joy? And would you help us to grow in gratitude, seeing how much it is you love us? 
And would you help us to encourage each other in those things? And would you help us as leaders of the church uh, be sure that that is where our hearts are, that as we shepherd, we shepherd so that people would know how much God loves them. Not in a cheap way, not in, a, not in an unbiblical way, but a from Genesis to Revelation way. The whole counsel of God's word. But help us in the power of your Holy Spirit to love one another so well that as the world looks on, they would know exactly who and whose we are. In Christ's name, amen.